Greetings, troubled listeners, and welcome back to the Troubled Men podcast. I am Renee Coman, sitting in my safe house on the line with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, man. What's going on? Oh, not too much. It's uh, it's been a good week. Uh, you know, had got got a lot accomplished. Um, I uh, had to turn over an apartment that uh that that came up for rent, so I uh, had to search for a new tenant. Um, yeah, that's yeah. Well, it's hard and it's easy at times. I don't know. Sometimes you know it can be hard. Right. But usually, you know, you know, I don't know what neighborhood your your rentals in, but uh, it it can be hard or, or easy. Sometimes. Well, and you get lucky if the tenant's good and they might be jerks, you know. <laughs> sure, yeah, it's it's always the the unknown, you know, and and uh, uh, so, but I did find a, a a great tenant pretty pretty quickly, so I'm I'm happy about that. Uh, um, you know, it's a th- I feel like uh, you know property owners have gotten a bad rap this year. You know, it's uh, with COVID. You know, they had all the the uh, the eviction moratoriums. People couldn't pay their rent. They were falling way behind, and uh, you know it's hard to know what to do. You know, so like in every other uh, uh, realm of of life, you know, there were we were uh, subsidizing all these businesses and you know sending people checks and and all this. But uh, they they told the landlords, well, just uh, you float this. We're going to treat you as the bank and. Uh, so, you know, and I think really part of it is the, uh, it's bad branding, you know, landlord. It sounds bad. It sounds very futile, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, uh, the problem is, you're right. It gets a bad name. I'm a landlord. We get a bad name. Uh, uh, but um, at the same time, we're offering a service that people need. And at the same time, you know, it's it's just like anything. It's it's like the cops. It's like politicians. It's it's just a few bad apples that give the whole thing a bad name. You've got slum landlords, sure, you know, those kind of men. You know, but then you have really you know good, respectable landlords like you, right? And 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 a, a lot of uh, you know in New Orleans, especially, we have a culture of you know shotgun doubles where you live in one side and you rent out out the other side. That's so, what I do. Right, right, exactly. I mean, that's that's uh, you know a large percentage of the housing stock in New Orleans is that way. So when you say landlord, you imagine somebody that owns like you know I don't know a hundred properties or something, or you know has has a whole corporate structure. But in a lot of cases, it's some little old lady who is on a fixed income, and she doesn't have the 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 kind of cushion to be able to float somebody for six, eight, you know, nine months without paying rent. You know, that's uh. And when you think about it, you know, as, as a property owner, you rent it out, you know, I, I turn over a very valuable asset to a complete stranger who I then become an employee of, because as soon as they sign the lease and pay the first month's rent, then they start sending me thing, you know, notes that things they want me to do and, and uh, you know, it's, and I want to do them. But again, it, it the relationship suddenly uh, you know shifts the the power dynamic. Suddenly, I'm I'm. Uh, well, there's those two beautiful words in the lease that we always put. Uh, my wife and I is as is. You know, it's as is. You know, I'll I'll be more than happy to help you out fix. But you know what? You rented it as is. There was that scuff on the floor when you walked through the place. Right and now. You want now you want me to repair it? No, 
It's as is. Right. I mean, I'll repair it down the road. Maybe when you move out, I'll, re- <laughs> I'll repair it. You know, but yeah. I'm going to repair it now because you've moved in all your stuff. And what do you want me to do now? Bring a crew of workers in? Right, right. Ex- exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And some people just like to pick at things and, and find, they like to lord that over you. It's like, well, I told you to do this and you haven't done it. It's like, well, I don't know. Is that really? Come to my house. There's a whole slew of things like that that are not done that haven't right. been done for 20 years. You know? Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's like our slogan. It never ends, man, when, especially when you're, a, when you're running out. It never ends. Right. And I mean, I, I live in a double shotgun, and our side, is, our side of the shotgun where I live is twice the size as the rental unit. I mean, there's not really that much to fix up. I mean, you know, if, if something, you know, you know, if the ceiling fan blows up, then I'll, I'll fix it. I'll well, deal yeah. with it. Uh, you know, but I'm not going to deal with, you know, a scuff on a floor or, you know, I have a tenant right now who's who's really great. He's really great. And he's, uh, you could tell he, he's good with the decor, you know, f- furnishing and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. But I hear him every once in a while. And I even told him, I said, here, in this kitchen drawer, there are little cushions for your chairs and your couch, uh-huh. you know, so it won't fuck up the wood floors. There are cushions. You hear him scraping oh, those chairs over there. And I just hear, I, you know, because he's, <laughs> he's got his desk right in the front of the house. I could just hear him scraping and scraping. Uh-huh. And I'm going, well, that's another 10 bucks off the deposit. There's another 10 bucks off the deposit. There's another 10 bucks off the deposit. And I told him, I said, there are cushions right there for every piece of furniture you have in here. Right. And, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, but he, this guy drives a BMW minivan, so he must have some. some yeah, 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 yeah. So whatever. Anyway, I'm I'm happy that that's that was uh, that was done and and uh, and. Well, and what's the longest you've ever gone without renting a place? You know, I mean, what's how how long has it ever been? You know, oh, what's the longest that has been vacant? Oh, I, I don't miss a day of rent. No, no, no. It's uh, no. I always, in fact, nowadays I have people on a sixty-day notice, so that that I know well in advance of when they're moving out. Because usually people know themselves. It's just sometimes they'll they'll know they're they're leaving for f- five months ahead of time, but they'll wait if if it says a thirty-day notice, they'll wait until that thirtieth day and then tell you. And then, you know, then it can be hard to get somebody in. Now, the apartments I have, I always kind of uh, rent them below the, the, what I could get for them. So I kind of have my pick of tenants, and I always have plenty of people that, that want to rent. And, and, you know, like you were saying, as far as fixing things up, I, I like to be an attentive, uh, you know, responsive landlord. If, even if it's an improvement, if it's something that is reasonable and will help the property, I'd, and they, it would make the person happy, I'm happy to do it, you know, and, I, you know, there's, it has to be within, within reason, but anyway, uh, happy to put that behind me, um, my son's graduating from Tulane tomorrow, that's, uh, really, so, yes, 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 so he's moving back home? Um, uh, he, his apartment is going to run out at the end of this month. He is going to move back home for a little bit. He's going to be traveling abroad, uh, during the summer. I'm not sure exactly what his plans are, but, uh, you know, me, I, my kids can stay here as long as they want. I'm, I'm in no hurry to, uh, to get him out of the house. That's very New Orleans. I yeah. yeah. It's very New Orleans where, you know, the, the kids live there till they're till they die with the parents, you know. Yeah, I don't I don't anticipate that happening, but it would be fine with me. Okay. No, I you know, this kid uh, my kid wants to get out. She wants to get out now. And yeah. yeah it's more, I'm more than happy to, for her to get out. But listen, there's a few things I wanted to touch on. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, 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 before we get to our exciting guest. 
Yes. You know, uh, crime is going crazy everywhere, yes, especially in our city. And I don't know if you saw this story, but a, 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 a guy, uh, a man out uh, in Metairie or Kenner, got half his nose bit off. I knew you were going to bring this up, and, and I did just, read that article. Yes, I yeah, did. Yeah, you see that? That's oh, insanity, yeah. man, over a spilled drink. Well, and it was a spilled drink that, that the owner had bought for him. It right. Was, the guy bought him a drink, and it, some, some of it spilled, and they said, well, sorry about that. Here, we'll buy you another one. They bought him another right. one. And then, then he <laughs> just goes up and bites this guy, the guy's nose. <laughs> he bit a piece off. Yeah, he bit a piece off. And luckily for the guy who you know, got bit, there was, happened to be a cop outside the bar. Uh-huh. You know, and because witnesses in the bar were following, you know, this guy. His name was uh, Thayer. Thayer, right? Was the, 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 the fighter? Yeah, he was the big victim, and I think this yeah, guy yeah. named Nearman was uh, the the biter. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, talk about you know, uh, he seems like a retarded Dracula or vampire. He goes for the <laughs> nose and not the throat. <laughs> you know, but they caught him. They caught him yep. and. The funniest thing was is uh, that he said, uh, you know, the cops took took this nearman, and this nearman said, "Well, he was accosted first by Thayer, so I bit him." Oh Jesus! You know, you know, so uh, whatever, dude. Uh, okay, yeah, if you, you know, but but I thought it was hilarious, and um, they had a picture in, in 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 on the website, you know, the the local news, and they showed the guy's nose how they repaired it. And, it, it, you know, I mean, he was an attractive looking guy before and he's now he's even uglier. This yeah, guy. I'm sure it didn't didn't help any. Yeah, it didn't help much at all. Uh, but uh, it's crazy what people do. I mean, can you imagine uh, that you're sitting there and you're you, you think you've got it all settled with this guy, you know, a l- little dust up. And then suddenly he's there right in your face, biting your nose off. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Shocking. You don't expect that, man. You know, somebody throwing a punch, that's one thing, but... Well, the uh, guy who got bit, he was a, he's a bar owner himself, and he right. closed up his bar. This is the weirdest thing. He closed up his bar and went to another bar to have a drink. I think he was the owner of the second bar as well. Is oh, really? The okay. That I got. Yeah, but, he's the owner of... He, of he, he was at another business that he closed, and then he was going around to... To his yeah. bar that he owns, and he was just—I know—but this happened at five fifteen in the morning. Yeah, well, they say nothing good happens at five fifteen in the morning. <laughs> well, are they? Are they? Allow- I guess out in the West Bank or out in Kenner, they're allowed to stay open that late. The bars, because don't we still have restrictions here in, in New Orleans Parish on how mm-hmm. late they can stay open? Ah, uh, they probably do. Yeah, that was Jefferson Parish, though. You're right. So I think it's uh, it's. Uh, I'm thinking, well, you know, like you said, nothing happened. Nothing good happens at that time. So I just thought, you know, Jesus. Christ. Christ, you know, someone bites someone's nose. I mean, I'd rather get shot by somebody, you know, than Could have be. my nose bit off, you yeah, know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Depends on where, but yeah. Um. Right, exactly. And this leads me to another thing. Okay. Uh, speaking of, uh, of, uh, of guns and all that kind of stuff, I, did you just, I read this this morning, um, the governor of South Carolina I don't know if you know this. The governor of South Carolina has brought back firing squads to prisons. I, I did see that article. Go ahead. 
Yeah, well, all I all I got from him is like because apparently they they've ran out of the 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 drug that the uh, that they just the put le- in the vein lethal injection yeah. drugs. Yeah, they've yeah. run out of that drug in the in the state of South Carolina. So he wrote in this this like you know he just said I'm signing this bill. We're bringing back firing squads, which is like what are we in the Civil War again? <laughs> Right. Well, not only that, the 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 most uh, gruesome aspect of of the thing, and I and I just kind of scanned the article, but I you know read the read the headline, scanned the article, is that the bill actually forces the uh, the the condemned to choose between firing squad and the electric chair. <laughs> so so it's you know again kind of the the Sophie's choice you know it's a uh, you know you, you uh, I don't know if that exactly that metaphor exactly applies but there's no good there's no good answer to the to the question is the point. Yeah, that's insanity. Fire. So what is a firing squad? Maybe about six guys with rifles, like standing like eight feet away from you? Yeah, like six that. or seven. I think they usually put uh, have one uh, one gun that has a blank in it. So as the, right. so you don't know if maybe you weren't the guy, you know, maybe you were, I don't know. I don't know why they do that. Anyway, uh, so I guess we're going to go right from that to our guests. Is that the idea? Sure. Um, this is a terrific guest that uh, I've... Uh, I've been a fan for a long time. I've, uh, I've I've don't really know him well, but I've I've seen him play starting way back in the the early days of punk rock in New Orleans. He's a, a singer, composer, guitar player, uh, recording artist, uh, band leader, uh, uh, transgender rights activist, a writer. Uh, uh, led the the band RZA, then Pop Combo, and and on and on. We'll get into all the details, but without further ado, the great. Lenny Zenith. Welcome, Lenny. Hi, guys. How's it going, Renee? Manny, nice to meet you virtually. Hey, what's going on, man? And you brought up some really interesting and important issues. You know, I, I really have to start with the uh, the felt pads for underneath the furniture legs. Okay. Because that's a, a thing that I wrestled with. You know, the, the ones that are adhesive don't really stick very good. You should really get the ones that have the little nail on the end. So you can mm-hmm. tap them into the bottom of the furniture. Uh, they don't fall off and they don't scratch your floors and they make it nice and quiet. Um, and, nice. and I know that as landlords, you must be struggling during this time. And, and it's a tough it's a tough question. I hope you guys get compensated uh, for <laughs> any losses. And then in terms of the nose biting incident, which I also read about today, I, would, I really want to know what was the drink? Because that must have been a really... <laughs> Good drink to uh, elicit a, a nose biting episode, um, and and the pictures were pretty gruesome. Uh, I can't imagine I would go for somebody's nose if I was that pissed off. But uh, so Lenny, you were talking about uh, uh, growing up in New Orleans. So so you were born here. Um, uh, you know, you weren't born as Lenny Zenith. At least that uh, you weren't named that. Uh, so. Tell us about growing up in, in, in New Orleans, or I, I know at some point you moved to California. Um, you know, t- tell us about, about that experience. Sure, sure. I was born to a hospital, and okay. uh, my mom was a Cuban immigrant, and my dad was a Methodist preacher from Iowa. And, uh, you know, I was not born as Lenny Zenith, but my grandmother, who came to take care of me from Cuba, uh, started calling me Lenny very early on because my middle name was Elena uh, because I was born female. 
Um, but okay. she thought I looked like my cousin Lenny in Cuba. His name was Leonard. And uh, she just started calling me Lenny from an early age. Um, and I went to Trinity. I went to Heinz. I went to bunch of different schools. I lived in Plaquemines Parish for a while. And uh, when I came back to New Orleans from California and Plaquemines, I ended up uh, at McMain and then going to NOCA. And when I started my first band, uh, it was called RZA. And I just picked the name Lenny Zenith. And after a while, we were getting paid. And sometimes, or occasionally, we would get paid. <laughs> and they would make, especially if we were playing the Jazz Fest, they would make the checkout to Lenny Zenith. And so one day I just walked into court downtown and got my name changed. Okay. Where in, where in California did you live? Uh, I lived in Glendale and Burbank. Oh, oh Glendale, Burbank. Yeah. I went to Glendale Junior High, or no, sorry, Toll Junior High in Glendale. Uh, learned how to skateboard out there, spent a lot of time doing that. I thought when I grew up, I wanted to uh, live by the beach and own a hot dog stand. That was my greatest ambition. Now, you were skateboarding as a girl? Well, it's kind of interesting because I transitioned really early. Um, when I went uh -huh. to California with my dad, um, I enrolled surreptitiously as a boy. I walked into school and they gave me these forms. My dad dropped me off and said, go and sign up for, you know, eighth grade. And when it came time to check the gender boxes, as they were, I just left them blank. And mm -hmm. I was androgynous enough, at the, androgynous enough at the time that nobody ever really questioned me. And I started eighth grade as a boy. And, okay. you know, I had to do a lot of... Uh, you know, I had to skip PE. I'd say I wasn't feeling well. I didn't want to change in the locker rooms. I would go use the bathroom during class instead of between when there was fewer people there. And I continued doing that um, all the way through high school. Okay. And high school was in California too, or back in no, New Orleans? High school was in New Orleans. Okay. So, what were you? Why, why did you go out to California to begin with? Your dad was a preacher. Yeah, my parents right. split up, and uh, oh, okay. you know, I decided to go with him. And he had some friends in uh, Southern California, where we could, you know, stay until he landed a job and start up a, a new life there. And uh, it was great. I mean, I I loved California. I loved Los Angeles. I thought I'd live there the rest of my life. Um, I really Me just too. got into the whole culture. That's where I'm uh, from. Yeah, that's where I'm are you, from. What part are you from? I grew up on the west side, like uh, Venice, towards Venice Beach, Mar Vista yeah. area. Yeah, yeah, we would cut out of school on Friday afternoons and go to Venice and do a little, you know, surfing and skating around there. It was. Amazing. I was never good at either one, skateboarding <laughs> or surfing. I was never good, but I just liked hanging out on the boardwalk. Yeah, and, it was um, the best. It was the best, and there were so many wackies and crazies, and, you know, people are smoking pot and stuff like that, and everyone's, mm. you know, it's a very cool scene. Uh, I did get into boogie boarding. I was kind of good at boogie boarding, but I could just never stand up on that goddamn surfboard for some reason. <laughs> it does seem hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, and yeah. after growing up in, in Louisiana, you know, the, the beaches that we went to on the Gulf Coast, the water was lukewarm. 
You go out to yeah. the Pacific Ocean and it's uh, cold. It's ice cold. Well, you'd ice rather cold. have it ice cold because that keeps the sharks away. <laughs> <laughs> the lukewarm water invites those sharks, okay. man. Okay. Well, Lenny, were you uh, getting into playing music when you were out in California or w when did that start? Yeah, I actually started, you know, I actually started playing. I didn't listen to a lot of rock and roll. My parents were not particularly strict, but they just didn't really care for rock and roll. Um, we listened to a lot of church music and show tunes at home. And uh, But I obviously I had a radio and a transistor radio. But when I got to California uh, and I was in school, they had a talent show. And I think we played China Grove was the song okay. we played and, and Peter Frampton <laughs> was big and the Beach Boys were big. And, you know, my dad and I would drive around and I'd be cranking Led Zeppelin in the car and he would say, Lenny, is loud good? I was like, <laughs> yeah, dad, loud is good. <laughs> so were you, would you listen to a lot of KROQ? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That was the station, man, for all the new music, the punk and the new wave. That, that yeah. was the station to listen to. I mean, I was probably just like you. I mean, I was blasting the lead and the stones and the who and all that. But on Sunday nights, I'd listen to Rodney on the Rock and uh, just listen to all this music that just kind of like, what the hell is this? You know, you know everything from, you know, X and uh, even before X, you know, bands that were just so great that you didn't listen. You didn't hear on KLOS, you know, the, class, right. you know, the rock right. station. And suburban lawns, all these great bands, man. Well, by the by, the time a lot of that was happening, Lenny, you were back in New Orleans already, right? Because because actually, RZA, I was I was looking up. RZA was on that that first uh, No Experience compilation, which was what like 1980 or something. Like you know, right. you, you were you were right there with the all the foundational first wave New Orleans punk bands, like the Normals and and. Uh, you know, uh, wayward youth and, and, and you were right there, man. It's, uh, yeah. Well, when I got back to new Orleans, I listened to WTUL a lot and that mm -hmm. was sort of my, my guiding light, you know? Uh, and that's where I listened to a lot of the new music that was coming out. Um, and I would have liked to consider ourselves, you know, true punk, but we really weren't. I mean, cause I, I had, this very weird background from having studied classical music and going to NOCA and listening to show tunes and being kind of into bubblegum pop early on. I didn't have an older sibling that I could, you know, listen to records. I didn't collect records at all. Um, but I did like the energy of what was coming out of WTUL at the time, you know, the damned and Blondie and talking heads and, early police and the clash and the rolling, uh, the Ramones. Mm -hmm. And that's what, and, and then after I saw the normals, which probably the greatest, you know, punk band or punk slash power pop, new wave band to come out in New Orleans. Yes. I said, that's what I want to do. Right. Right. And well, yeah, listening to like, like, uh, you know, the RZA is definitely had kind of a Ramones vibe to me in that it was very doo-wop influenced, you know, it's like a uh, very melodic, um, you know, it's kind of a uh, sped up, but very melodic, a lot of, uh, harmony vocals and stuff, right. you know, right from the, from the start, you know, your music was like you said, power pop, you know, I mean, it was in the context of punk or new wave, but 
you know, a, a, a lot of your your music th- throughout the whole course of your career has a has a common thread to it. I find. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, some of the great power pop bands, you know, that influenced the punk scene, you know, like maybe Big Star to a certain extent. Um, Death from Detroit, which you didn't hear too hmm. much about. Um, right. That influenced a lot of what we were listening to, but I was just list- I was just kind of copying what I heard on uh, WTUL. Right. Well, now something else about RZA, and and again, it's you know I I saw you guys play way back in the day, but uh, you know it's uh, it sort of jogged my memory is that uh, Becky Curry was the bass player in RZA. She was. She was one of the bass players. RZA had several permutations. The first one was this very stripped down uh, three-piece of two kids I went to NOCA with, uh, Greta and Julian. And and then we would have guest stars. Julian like Garcia? Chuck- uh, I think it was. Uh, Julian is still around. I see Julian every time I go no, to kid. WWOZ. He's always playing right across the street. And I've known Julian since since I'm in high school. No kidding. Yeah, so he was the first drummer. And Greta was the keyboard player. He, uh, he uh, Julian played like Tony Williams when he was fifteen. He was he's he's yeah. always been amazing. Uh, so go ahead. And he was a super nice guy. And I was yes, a I didn't really know what I was doing. And we would do a bunch of covers. And I'd written a couple of weird songs. And then we would have the artist, uh, the very celebrated outsider artist Chuck Crosby, uh, would come on stage and dance with us uh, in a kimono. <laughs> and he would get chased around the stage by this guy in a leather jacket, Big Mike. And we would sing Daddy Don't, which was one of, you know, popular song that we did. Uh-huh. And it was uh, kind of performative. I think Figaro, John Newlin and Bunny Matthews called it kind of performance art, I think, in one of their articles. Um, so we had a lot of fun with it, you know. And um, Daria Gabriel also... Uh, gave us some insight into some of the bands that she had seen in New York who were doing music, but then adding sort of a visual dramatic element to it as well. Mm-hmm. Well, Becky Curry's one of those legendary uh, performers that, you know, she obviously passed away, you know, way before her time. And, and, uh, but, you know, she's so beloved, you know, she's in the Rhapsodizers, which, you know, the forerunner of the radiators, you know, well, and, she was in the cartoons as well. And she, uh, you know, I was working at DH homes in Lakeside at the time and she and Mark Hoffman came in to talk to me and Mark Hoffman played in RZA for a little while. I think he's out in California now, great bass player. And then Becky ended up in the band, and she and I became good friends, and we lived together on Balance Street with Sonny Schneido. And we listened to lots of music and opened for a bunch of bands, including this um, Irish band, um, U2. Yes. On, on The President. You guys got a lot of recognition and, and some, some great opportunities right up top, right, right, right early on. Yeah, and I can, I can thank Ed White for that because when he was booking Old Man Rivers, uh, I think it was called White Oak Productions, mm-hmm. and he got us to open for uh, Ultravox. That was when Rick Nick and Charlie Weir were in the band. And uh, let's see, Ultravox, XTC. Um, 
Iggy, was that at, at Old Man Rivers? No, you're... Iggy Pop was on the boat. But that okay. was a gig. I was dating a woman at the time named Marsha Deer. Uh, and she was friends with uh, Jim. And she said, hey, my boyfriend's got a band. Next time you come through town, can he open for you? And he's like, sure. <laughs> and I had no idea what I was getting into because it was just such a wild time. You're on the boat. There's Iggy Pop, you know, uh, uh, Carlos Alomar's on guitar and all these like great players. And he was a very, very nice guy and an amazing performer. That was probably one of the best gigs I ever did. So when you say you had a girlfriend, so you have already transgendered into being a, a man, right? Yeah, I transitioned in the 70s. Because you started at a very young age, at eighth grade, right? right? I did. And so I had been living as a boy for, you know, many years. And Now, do you, know, you have a penis now? Um, that's actually a really inappropriate question, Manny. You never, ever ask a trans person what's between their legs. Oh, really? See, sort of, I, I, yeah. I never got... I never got the the memo on all this stuff. I'm sorry. Yeah, there's you know, a, that's I, okay. I, that's that's a lot of people don't know. It's not okay. I should say, it's a mistake that a lot of people make. I remember when uh, I think it was. Uh, Laverne but could Cox. you get one if you wanted one? Well, you know what? Google is a great resource. You can go on there and look up phalloplasty and figure out how that happens for trans guys. A lot of uh, trans guys do choose to get that. Many more don't. Um, but yeah, it is possible and has been for many years. Um, but when Laverne Cox was on the Today Show and Katie Kirk asked her the same question, it, it, you know, it was a big deal. So, you know, I, it's sort of like I wouldn't ask you, you know, how big is your penis, Manny? I assume you have one. I'm not sure. Right. You could be transgender as well. And I just don't know because a lot of transgender people uh, pass. I mean, if you ran into me on the street. Hey, Katie Kirk asked a girl, uh, her, and her name was Cox. <laughs> Good observation. You like the wordplay there. But anyway, let's get back to the music and the history. Yes, yeah. So we we're talking about uh, uh, Becky Curry and and the 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 old days of of punk rock and and uh, you must have known George the Max. Absolutely, Becky, George, and I used to hang out a lot, and they were both great people. And Becky was very blues and R and B oriented. She had you know worked with Doc Thomas and George Clinton and Bootsy Collins. And uh, I was wow. surprised that she was interested in being in my little punk band. But we became mm. really good friends and would sit on the balcony of Valance Street, which was right down the street from where the Neville brothers practiced, and uh, just listen to all these records. And she was just an extraordinary person with a huge heart. Uh, she was a pediatric oncologist nurse. She was a nurse in the pediatric oncology mm. unit. And tragically died unexpectedly, and it was heartbreaking for me as a, a friend and bandmate and for everybody who knew her. But uh, she was a tremendous New Orleans talent um, with a great voice. There's some very obscure video of her singing on uh, YouTube, which is great to listen to. Yeah, yeah, man. I wish, wish I'd gotten to, gotten to see her play. Oh, she was great. 
Well, uh, Manny, it seems like a good time to take a little break here and refresh our cocktails. What do you think? Yeah, let's do okay, that. Lenny, we good. always uh, tell the nation we'll be right back and get a drink, and we'll be back in a minute. Awesome. Back with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coleman. Back with our guest, Lenny Zenith. Now, Lenny, uh, I know you've, you're a listener of the program, so you're probably familiar with this terrific uh, Velo Bar product. But uh, I am. Excellent. For the rest of the world, the rest of the troubled nation, Manny, why don't you go ahead and tell them about the Velo Bar? The Velo Bar, people. It's a great tasting bar. It's got 25 milligrams of CBD per bar. It's a great dose to take the edge off, whatever you're dealing with right now. It's a healthy protein bar that'll fill you up and calm you down. It's great. It's a plant-based protein bar from healthy superfood ingredients, pumpkin seeds, hemp hearts, chia seeds. It's a great stress relief breakfast bar, and it tastes fucking great. It comes in two great flavors, dark chocolate and peanut butter, and I love them. I love these bars. They're really good. And right now... Right now, if you go to VeloBarCBD.com now. and order, you can take 15% off by using the Troubled Men 1-5 promo code. 15% off plus free delivery. It's a fantastic product. So check it out, nation. Tell all your friends. Let's get the world stress relieved, man. Yes, but that's not all. That's not all from the VeloBar company. Right. We've got the, uh, the grade A cookie which is a fabulous product also. So, so unlike the, the, the Velo Bar CBD bar, which is a stress reliever, the, the, the Delta 8 cookies and uh, brownies will get you high. So this is uh, 21 and over. It's uh, legal in 42 states, but uh, it's, uh, it's very much like weed. It's, uh, if you're into edibles, uh, the... the Great Escape cookies, uh, and and you can uh, there's a link right there in the show notes, uh, and I think the the the, the Velo Bar website has a link to get these cookies and brownies yes. too. 
And you can always you get 15% off your order, too. With the Troubled Cookie 1-5 or Troubled Brownie 1-5 uh, uh, promo codes. It's a lot to remember, but you can do it, Nation. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, do it before you eat the cookie. Right. And... And, you know, uh, if, you, if you are enjoying the podcast, uh, subscribe, uh, you know, review us, rate us on, you know, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And, uh, you know, please uh, support the Troubleman podcast. We have a Patreon page that, that we have our, our second uh, patron has signed up for, uh, Hirsch Katzen. Shout out to Hirsch Katzen for, his, uh, for your patronage. And... Uh, you know, we we still have the uh, the cocktail fund. It's it's there for if you want to buy me and Manny a cocktail, and uh, we still have the uh, t-shirts, and all that is right there in the show notes. The the links in the show notes, and uh, you know, get involved in the Trouble Men podcast, people. All right, well, back to our terrific guest, Lenny Zenith. Um, so Lenny, uh, so you have RZA, and then at some point that trend that uh, that. Uh, you have a name change. It, it becomes a, a pop combo, Lenny Zenith and pop combo. Was there a reason behind the name change or uh, tell us about that? Uh, it was mostly a personnel change. And also the music was changing a little bit, moving on from punk rock over to uh, more, maybe more thoughtful, melodic new wave. And, you know, I was listening to different stuff and just got a group of different players, uh, including, okay. you know, Bruce Blaylock, Gary Parkey, Steve Fisher. And, you know, we just went in a different direction. And that band did pretty well. Um, and we, you know, started recording some demos that sounded really good and ended up releasing an EP back in the 80s. And, you know, there were a lot of great songs in that group. And, we toured up to New York and we thought we had uh, a little bit of shot at a big time. We played Baltimore and Boston and Provincetown. Um, but you know, that didn't work out. And there were probably a couple of different bands after that. Um, there was the Lenny Zenith band with Chris Luckett played with us for a while and Paul Clement. And then there was burning silver dollars, which was a pretty all out rockabilly band. Um, and then I was ready to leave New Orleans. I had on the trip, on the tour with Pop Combo, we had played in New York City uh, for a bunch of record labels. And, you know, a bunch of people came out. They thought we had something, but not quite enough. Uh, it was a great experience, but I fell in love with New York. And as much as I thought I'd always live in Los Angeles after having gone to junior high there, I fell in love with New York. And when the opportunity came up to move, I jumped and where do you live in new york now i live in queens i lived in brooklyn for a long time uh i had a little detour to michigan for a few years in ann arbor and then came back to new york and brooklyn was way expensive and i just could not move back to any neighborhood in brooklyn and i had friends in queens and we looked at a couple of neighborhoods and uh ended up uh, in Sunnyside for a while, and now I'm in Ridgewood, Queens, uh, which is a very... Why did you go to Michigan? Was it for a woman? Uh, my wife was accepted to graduate school at the University of Michigan, okay. and uh, we went there so she could uh, do her graduate degree. Um, 
we're no longer together, but, uh, that was, uh, you know, we were married for 25 years. Oh, wow. Um, and we're still friends. Um, and she's still here in New York. Um, but yeah, Michigan was about an eight year detour before I said, I got to get back to New York. Michigan seems bleak to me for hmm. some reason. Well, like you guys were talking bleak. about being landlords and, you know, I have a great landlord who's also a great bass player and has a little studio and he actually produced the pop combo record that was recorded in New Orleans. But wow. the landlords here have to shovel snow. Yeah. <laughs> and I know you guys have to deal with a lot, but you don't have to shovel snow, which is a pain in the ass, I can tell yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't I couldn't live in the snow. That that, that wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't work for me. Uh -uh. Um well well, Lenny, it was something I wanted just to detour uh, and go back. You know, you're talking about the music business and and you know the the trans transgender issues. You know, it's something that's very much in the in the popular consciousness now. But but you growing up in the '70s and all that, you know, that was uh, you were alone there in the wilderness. I mean, that that must have taken a tremendous amount of courage for you to 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 have that that kind of uh, I don't know just to to uh, to, to you know like i saw your book is uh, you know you have a memoir called before i was me so that was like the journey of you becoming you i don't know am yeah. i getting on anything here you are i mean thank you for asking i don't think uh i don't think i was that courageous i wish i would have been more courageous because if i could have been a little bit more out publicly i might have been able to help more people but it was just too scary i mean i had you know, after shows, I had, you know, idiots at, you know, certain bars in New Orleans come up and make threats and threaten to rape me and, you know, say really shitty things. And, you know, people would spray paint, you know, Lenny Zenith sponsored by Snap-on Tools, which in retrospect, I think is kind of funny. I don't take myself that seriously. Um, but yeah, it was hard because there wasn't quite the media presence that there is now and the you know, there have been transgender people going all the way back through history to, you know, ancient times. And, and I just did what I had to do to survive. Right. And, you know, I don't, I don't think I ever looked like the prototypical rock star or whatever, which may or may not have affected my career. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a challenge. And something you had to navigate, you know, I, there was even back in the 90s, I was here in New York and there was a really cool club where all the indie rock bands played in the 90s when grunge was big. And and the club owner said to one of my bandmates, oh, we don't want to book that freak here. Mm. <laughs> I was like, I'm not a freak. I'm actually a really nice person. And I'm, right. I think I have a, a modicum of talent. Uh, my band, but then after that, the band that I had here in New Orleans, Jennifer Convertible, got really uh, here in New York. Sorry, uh, got really popular, and we, you know, had a couple of college radio hits, and you know, we were on MTV, and we had, you know, a song in uh, ESPN's uh, Winter X Games, and a couple mm -hmm. of indie movies, and so you know, we overcame that, but Jennifer Convertible was a, a really strong band. And then after uh, that, I moved to Michigan and I had a band in Michigan called Minor Planets that did quite well also. 
And then when I came back to New York and even in Michigan to a certain point, because at the University of Michigan, I spoke to a lot of student groups, including medical students, about what it's like to grow up transgender, what the medical treatments are like, you know, when you take hormones of the opposite sex of which you were born over a long period of time, how to even talk to a dentist, you know, a dental student about if you encounter a person that's trans. And I've been fortunate because even though I'm Latino and transgender, I pass. I look like a white dude. Mm-hmm. If you pass me on the street, you wouldn't think twice. You right. know? But a lot of transgender people don't have that privilege. And it's really, really difficult to move through the world uh, as a marginalized person if you're non-binary um, or gender non-conforming. Um, how it affected my music career, I have no idea. Um, but I'm just grateful for the opportunities that I did have, um, you know, playing with some amazing players in New Orleans and also here in New York, and then reconnecting miraculously with the pop combo people to record an album last year of songs that were from the 80s. But to me, if you listen to the pop combo album, Blue Velvet Traces, that was all recorded there in New Orleans, I think it sounds actually not that dated. I mean, I think it's pretty contemporary. And we, we were fortunate enough to play with, you know, some amazing horn players and Carlo Nuccio contributed to a couple of tracks and uh, Allison Young sang on a couple of tracks. So mm-hmm. uh it's all kind of come full circle, you know, and then I had a band. Does Carlo Nuccio owe you money? <laughs> Actually, no, I think I owe him money, but don't tell him. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> Why? So, does he owe you money? Oh, yeah. He owes me money big time. Anyway, listen, did your mom leave Cuba because of Castro? Uh, she most certainly did. Okay. And her yeah, whole, so that- our, my whole family did. Oh, wow. Yeah. Didn't, didn't know that about you, Lenny. Um, yeah, and I'm releasing uh, my first Cuban song uh, this early, later this summer. Oh, wow. Yeah, have you ever been back to Cuba? Uh, I was born in New Orleans, um, um, but I'm desperate to visit Cuba for sure. I would like to see my, my family's homeland, um, and, and I'm a big fan of Cuban music. Yeah. Um, and I hear it's a fascinating place. And I also love mojitos. Right on. (laughs) Sure, sure. What is your cocktail of choice, Renee? Um, Well, I'm sticking with the... uh, Tonight, uh, as always, uh, I'm very consistent. It's it's either... uh, It's gin and soda currently. I I switch between uh, vodka and soda and gin and soda. If I want to get a little less crazy, I'll go back to uh, to vodka soda. But... I've been on a for a, a long arc where I'm I'm leaning into the crazy, which I think for me, Jen Jen does the trick. <laughs> it is, Manny, What about you? I'm a, a potato vodka and soda guy. Nice. It's interesting. Y'all drink vodka and soda, not vodka and tonic. No, I've never been a fan of tonic. Yeah, you know, I, I grew up drinking uh, uh, gin and, and tonics, but. You know, uh, at some point a few years ago, I started thinking, you know, I like the taste of the booze. I don't know why I'm running away from it. And, uh, you know, you can taste it more with the with the soda. 
and and then once you get away from the tonic, you realize it has a very bitter taste masked by a ton of sugar. So exactly, exactly. Well, my when I'm going fancy, I really prefer uh, a really nice vodka, dirty martini. Okay. Okay. Right. I'll have well, a gin martini if you twist my arm, but a vodka martini is my. Uh, I haven't had gin since nine, Halloween night, nineteen eighty one. Wow. <laughs> I, I haven't had amaretto yet. sour since uh, December in nineteen eighty three. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm yeah. imagining that both of y'all. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't had uh, Jack Daniels since uh, a camping trip with my neighbor in, in about uh, nineteen seventy eight. So uh, there you go. You know those those uh, traumatic experiences sometimes yeah. last a lifetime so so lenny you 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 live in new york but you've come down to new orleans to to make several records well you know going back uh a couple of years ago you you started releasing records under just lenny zenith no other band name and and, and this record you put out in 2018 what if the sun terrific re- record man i listened to the whole thing yesterday super melodic angular you know power pop kind of has uh television elements to it um thank you you know and but but in you know listening to that compared to you know like the the first stuff that rza put out it's it doesn't sound hugely different i mean you know obviously the era is different but again your melodic sense the uh you, you know the the vocal harmonies the you know it's 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 very you, man, which is is great. I, I think I think that's yeah. That's no, a- I mean I think the thread of of my influences, you know, the the inf- my influences come through on most of the records that I do, um, and that what if the sun is just a continuation of what I did in RZA, Pop Combo, Jennifer Convertible, Minor Planets, and it was sort of the refinement of all those, but with a lot of a little bit of punk and melodicism tied in there. Um, and then if you haven't heard the new single, the quarantine single, which I recorded with, uh, Brian Coogan, Carlo Nucio, Scott Frock, Allison Young, and Paul Clement right. is a complete departure because it's a, it's a torch song. It's a ballad. Yes. Yes. And you recorded that this year. Talk about that. And you did, it's a, it's a benefit, uh, release, right? Talk about that as well. Yeah. So the A side is about longing for uh, a love lost and, and somebody, you know, you always cared about and, uh, wanted to be with. And, and then the B side, uh, how we got here was had some featured, some remarkable new, new York musicians, Joe McGinty, who runs losers lounge and, and Claudia Chopek and Eleanor Norton and, uh, I recorded that here, but it was all mixed in New Orleans. And I said, well, we did this all in quarantine. We mixed it remotely using audio movers and Zoom. And mm. it was a really unusual experience because I didn't get to be in the studio with the people who were doing it. And the B-side is about a breakup and how to get over that gracefully and graciously. And all the funds, the proceeds, the money that comes in from sales are to benefit uh, an organization there in New Orleans called House of Tulip, which is a shelter or a home for transgender, non-binary, and gender non-conforming people who are experiencing housing insecurity, uh, which is a big problem for our community because a lot of times I was lucky because you know when I came, transitioned as a teenager, um, as an adolescent, my parents took me to Tulane University and 
you know, met some great doctors there who said, you know, Lenny's decided what Lenny's going to be and y'all have to just deal with it, accept it or don't accept it, but this is what's happening. And a lot of times kids who are going through this issue uh, get kicked out of their house right. or they can't get jobs or they have trouble finding housing. And so House of Tulip is building a shelter, a home, uh, for people to use. And it's a great organization. I feel that I've been fortunate enough to have good work, uh, full time here in New York as a, an IT guy. And I worked in the music business for a while and I worked at Time Warner and I can pay for these recordings. Um, and I don't need to make a ton of money. So I think I would give it back to the community that needs it the most. And that's closest to my heart. Right. Nice. And it's a beautiful, the, 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 how we got here, the, the, the recording you did up in New York is a beautiful orchestral arrangement. It's, it's, uh, it's quite lush. And you're talking about the loser's lounge. Um, so, <laughs> so are you, I, I know some of those guys, so like, uh, Jeremy Chatsky. Uh, oh, Jeremy's Jeremy? great. I love Jeremy, man. Yeah. Yeah. I met him when I was up there, uh, doing a, a Chilton tribute and, and he came in as uh, Ronnie Spector's music director, which I think he still is. Yeah. And, uh, and, and uh, Doug Garrison and I, the drummer with the iguanas were supposed to back up Ronnie on a couple of songs, but Jeremy had to like vet us to make sure that we could play before <laughs> He could <laughs> let Ronnie get in front of us, and so I remember sitting in the backstage at uh, at City Winery in New York, and he, and we're like playing through this tune, and I know what he's doing. He's just making sure that we and I and I'm, I'm going, no, I can play. Just I get it, man. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I love Jeremy. We've we've been friends ever since then, man. So that's a yeah. and fa fast Eddie. That's a and Michael Service is involved with uh, yeah. with the Losers Line. And and the greatest thing I'll tell you, a dear friend of mine, uh, may she rest in peace. Piece, uh, Lee Harris, Little Queenie, I got her yes. to come up and do a Loser's Lounge here uh, in New York. And uh, we were doing uh, Brian Wilson, and she just slayed. I mean, they yeah. loved her. And it was a great chance for us to hang out here in New York. And, you know, I spent a little time with her in North Carolina um, in her last days. And right. she was a huge influence on me vocally performatively and spiritually because she was such a special person. I heard first heard her play when I was about 15 um, and she changed my life. So I have a lot of uh, gratitude in my heart for her genius. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding, man. Uh, yeah. She's, she's another one. What, what a tremendous band. I was going to ask you, so were you friends with Lee from, from that point on, from, from back in the old days when she had the percolators and just... from before the percolators. Yeah. I was really? uh, just a, a kid, you know, when she was just doing a duet in little bars in the French quarter. And then when she and John Magny got together, I'll go see them at Tyler. I think it was Tyler's on magazine. Right. And, uh, you know, we would talk and talk on the phone late at night and talk about music and romance and love and our lovers and our boyfriends and girlfriends and whatnot. And, you know, she was probably, my mom was a, is a great singer and, um, and she used to have, uh, she used to sing on the radio in Cuba. And besides my mom, Lee was probably the biggest influence on me uh, 
as a musician, as a vocalist. Oh man, that's, that's, that's great to have had, uh, had her, you know, so early on. What, uh-huh. a, what a giant, man. Well, you know, I was going to ask you, like going back to the, the, those early, uh, you know, punk days and, and, you know, you navigating through and I was, I was, I would have assumed that people were pretty cool because it was kind of a, uh, you know, an outsider art. You know, it was, uh, we were all kind of products of Bowie and the, the, you know, the plasticism of, you know, everybody gets to create their own identity. A lot of people, uh, you know, you weren't the only one who made up, you know, who came up with an identity and a name out of whole cloth. And and so I would have thought that that would have been been uh more accepting but maybe not so you still had to deal no with- not so much it was still like a boys club you know yeah. and you, you you know there was still the the rocker aesthetic of you know boys play rock and i i bought into it too you know i i did not consider having girls in my band for a while and that was the uh, my own internal misogyny huh. um which i had to overcome uh, especially when i met becky and she was a force to contend with and i was like i was an idiot I was a moron to <laughs> not consider having this monster uh, musician and vocalist in my band. And uh, so I got over that real quick. But uh, even though there was, you know, Iggy Pop and Bowie and the New York Dolls and Prince, for that matter, uh, right. who, you know, played around with gender, um, it was not easy because even to this day, you know, I challenge you to name one other uh, female to male transgender musician. I mean, Ryan Casada is probably uh, one of the Barbara most- Streisand. Oh man! <laughs> hey, she's one of my favorites. I just watched uh, one of her movies recently. She's the greatest. She is so good. There's no. I, I love. Yeah. <laughs> God, what a talent! Anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, she she did a porno film. You know that? Oh, did man. she? She did. What's it called? What's new Pussycat? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> her, her. Uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, stars from the '60s that started out in porno. It was a softcore porno film in the '60s. Uh, she did one. Look yeah. it up, Renee. I'm gonna you look know, it up. I yeah, look it up, Renee. Chuck Connors was also another guy who did a porno film. I don't want to see. I don't want to see Chuck Connors' porno film. But, yeah, well, uh, you know. Just because she's Jewish, you don't have to defend her, man. She did a poem. Oh my film. gosh, she's a um, she's a great artist, man. That's, yeah, that's I love her too. I love her. Don't scream at me. I'm, I can hear you. Um, no, but here's the here's the thing: is like you know, you were talking about the orchestral arrangements for how we got here, which I you know, in during quarantine, I was picking up the piano, which I learned in Noka and practiced really hard, but I was never going to be as good as. Winton or Branford, who were my classmates, or Harry Connick Jr. But I did listen to a lot of classical music, so I got back into orchestral stuff and writing string arrangements, and Joe McGinty helped me with that. Uh, And we got these great string players. And so people would not imagine that I would go from RZA, Pop Combo, Jennifer Convertible, which was very noisy and angular, probably the loudest band I ever played with, um, to doing this more kind of toned down stuff. And, um, and I'm glad to, you know, still be involved with new Orleans musicians. I have a gig coming up, uh, in two gigs in July. We're doing another little Queenie tribute at the end of July. And, uh, and then I'm going to be playing with Carlo, Mary Lassane, 
Rick Nick and Allison Young at a Gasa Gasa on July 29th. Oh, cool, man. I'll have to come to that. That sounds like a ball. It sounds like a, cause you know, those, those kind of uh, events like that, it's, 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 old home week you know you see all the people from the from the scene that you, have, you don't see all the time it's waiting for join now and see what <laughs> i think manny's uh previewing uh his i'm looking about the barbara uh, streisand porno film right <laughs> now <laughs> send me a link manny and, and uh, text me a link and uh we'll we'll put that in the show notes because uh, i think the troubled nation is interested i know i am yeah, um, I can't believe you never heard of this. No, I haven't. It's it's it's, uh, it's, but, it's, it's Hollywood legend, man. She did a porno film in the early '60s. Right, Is that right, what right. they call the Streisand effect? <laughs> Maybe I have no idea. I don't know what that means, Lenny. <laughs> but uh, anyway, well, if you're interested, real quick. The Streisand effect is the idea that she was getting married. I don't know if it was to Chris Christopherson or somebody else, and she didn't want any media to photograph the wedding. And it became such a huge thing that all of a sudden she had like helicopters and paparazzi and people photographing the wedding from a mile away. And that's called the Streisand effect. Oh, okay. Just because the, the, <laughs> the, 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 uh magnitude of her stardom that uh people could not resist uh exactly trying devour and try, it. trying to cover it up just made it bigger okay all right well she's she is a, a unique talent you know there there are many great singers but there's only one streisand absolutely she's like the 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 female sinatra in my mind where you know the 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 control the, the female aaron neville in your mind right no uh, you know no, I, I wouldn't go there aaron neville is a great singer but uh again sinatra the 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 breath control the uh it's just uh, the taste you know I, I don't know um we can get into that uh later some other time well lenny uh getting so so there's this uh this documentary that they've been making uh, about New Orleans punk rock, Almost Ready, the story of punk rock in New Orleans, which, uh, you know, you were interviewed for, you know, a lot of people were interviewed for. It's it's the, the movie that everyone's, all the New Orleans fans have been waiting for, but it seems to never come out. And what, what would you like me to say about that? I don't know. Do you know? Do yeah. you have any insight? Is it ever going to come out? <laughs> well, I, I'll just tell you like a lot of projects, whether it's a musical project, a film project, or even a book. My book has been in edits for the last five years and is still not out yet, partially because I'm lazy about writing. I can do music stuff all day long, but when it comes to writing, I hate it. Um, okay. But it's it's finished. I mean, the book's finished. It just needs some tightening up, and I've been working with a couple of editors there in New Orleans. Um, but the the film almost ready, which has a lot of great footage, and and I have to give um, Al Champagne a lot of credit for because he's this younger kid who wasn't even around during this time, and just really fell in love with the scene and the story of the scene. And he compiled a lot of interviews and went out of his way to get. Um, footage and interviews with people. But I think like a lot of projects, he ran up against things like budgetary constraints, uh, rights clearances, people just being irresponsible assholes. And 
you know, he's, uh, he was, he's an amateur. He's trying to do his first film. And I think his heart was really in the right place. And he still has this footage and it was just too hard to get the funding to get it finished. You know, I mean, it's so close and there's so much great footage. I, I hope that some, somehow the, the gods will align or the stars will align to allow this to see a release because it really was a, a very special time because New Orleans has always been about blues and jazz and R&B, but there was this really incredible time <clears throat> where punk took hold and people were all about going to Andy Capps and seeing the normals, going to see the Cole, the Red Rockers, uh, the Sluts. You know, I, I think that part of history should not be lost in, in New Orleans music because uh, it is part of our heritage. Absolutely. Well, you know, maybe the, uh, as this goes out into the troubled nation, uh, you know, well, uh, an angel investor will be, uh, attracted and, and, and want to, want to, uh, chip in to finish, uh, the, the almost ready movie. That would be, that would be terrific. I think that would be great. Well, uh, Lenny, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, you know, you, you've been such a good sport here. Um, you know, it's, uh, I, I could talk to you. I have a million other questions, but, uh, you know, we try to try to keep it about right here. And, uh, it's, uh I, I think we're about there. So everybody, you know, check out that, uh, that, uh, always near me single, you know, benefiting, uh, uh house of tulip. House of Tulip. Yes, I'll I'll put the uh, the the link there in the in the show notes. And also the gig at Gasa Gasa, July 29th. Right. And uh, hopefully the uh, I think the little Quinny tribute is supposed to be at Tipitina's. I haven't heard the final uh, details about that, but I'm pretty sure it's the same week. Right. And I'm going to be doing some more recording in New Orleans and. You know, I just did a song with Amosy Miller, Holly Benson, Allison Young, Michael Skinkis, Paul Clement at Blue Velvet Nola with Tom Stern at the yes. helm. So it's just uh, I'm just grateful to be still involved with the people I came up with, you know, who really influenced me and hope to move back home as soon as I uh, can. Okay, well, cool. You know, Lenny, I always call New Orleans the elephant's graveyard because, uh, you know, a lot of, like, you know, uh, everybody moves away. Every, almost everybody from my high school class moves away. And, uh, but then, you know, as they, they, they go do their thing in Atlanta or Houston or New York, and, and one by one, you all move back. Where did you go to high school? Because they can't make it there, so they come back. No, obviously they've been there for a long time. They're making it, but they come back because they love New Orleans, and 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 just like elephants return to wherever they were born, because to to end their lives, not to die, but to they 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 uh, they yearn for their their origins, you know. And I I think New Orleanians have that that innate impulse, you know. I went to uh, Ben Franklin. And uh, so I'm, I'm sure we had we had a lot of. In fact, Lenny, the very first time I knew uh, who you were, I was sitting in front of Ben Franklin, having just come back uh, from hanging out with uh, Nicole Pavi at uh, at lunchtime, and uh, we're oh, sitting funny. on the front steps, and you were walking down the middle of the uh, the, the streetcar tracks there on Carrollton Avenue, and <laughs> Nicole goes, "You see that guy? <laughs> That's Lenny Zenith." <laughs> 
<laughs> and I went, who? And she goes, Lenny Zenith. <laughs> so, so, so yeah. So that's 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 my first awareness of you, Lenny. So it goes way back. So it's it's. Uh, I had a nice dinner with Nicole here in New York a few years back. That was fun. One of my favorite people. She's uh, hilarious. Uh, she you is know, hilarious. Has a great story herself. She was a uh, she was uh, an early uh, guest on the podcast. So. Uh, oh, interesting. Yes. Good. Well, nice to meet you guys. I really appreciate you having me on. Well, uh, Lenny, again, thank you so much. And uh, in the Troubled Nation, we always like to say, trouble never ends, but the struggle continues. Good night. (laughs) Good night. Good night. Thanks. I talk to you when